We have been and started a series last week. Ironically enough, the name of it is Clean. Ha ha. All right, y'all need to lighten up a little bit. I'll go ahead and tell you that. We're going to have a good time today. Amen. Praise God. How can we not whenever we've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ? Amen. So today I want to go to Romans chapter 1 and verse number 1. It always amazes me that in this modern day that a lot of people try gimmicks and all kinds of foolishness, but the gospel of the kingdom is all about Jesus. And it's good enough that you don't need a gimmick. He's good enough all by himself. I said he's good enough all by himself. Amen. Verse 1, chapter 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. That's going to be important today as we talk about that. Verse number three, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, right? And declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Amen. God bless the reading of his word today. Jesus is no doubt the most explained man and yet the most misunderstood man there ever was because he is not 50% man and 50% God, but he is 100% man yet 100% God. We live in a very religious culture. But religion is not what Jesus is about. Religion means to conform to another code. And many have taken Jesus and turned him into just another religion, another book, another book of do's and don'ts. The book, the Bible, is even, uh, not even about the book itself, but the Bible is about a man. Genesis starts pointing to that man and throughout the Old Testament it is referring to that man which is to come. The New Testament begins to show that man and it ties it all together, the old and the new, and that man's name is Jesus Christ. Jesus was not a religious man. He wanted to restore back a relationship with God, not hands Uh, us a list of do's and don'ts not to hand us a church manual but Jesus died a terrible horrible death so that we could uh, not just come to church and not just be a church member 
But so Jesus died and rose again so that we, we, he got up on that Sunday morning that we call resurrection morning, amen, so that you and I can also get up from any circumstance or situation that we will ever deal with in our lives. You see, Jesus died and rose again so he could get up every morning and we could experience and we could feel the presence of a living, holy, sovereign God. Not so you could come to church in rigors of religion and come to fulfill some kind of purpose on a Sunday morning but so you can have a relationship with him every single day of your life. It wasn't Romans that crucified Jesus. It was not the world that crucified Jesus. It was religious people that crucified Jesus. Religion says what I can what I can I can and do for myself then I've got to try to make it happen. Religion says I've got to do something to make myself better. Huh? I, and, and so in trying to make myself better, it throws me into or thrusts me into a place of performance where I have to perform, where I have to act good, where I have to act right, where I have to perform and do these things or not do these things. Amen. But I want to tell you today that we could not meet all the requirements that was necessary for us to be saved. So Jesus came. Amen. And and he met every single requirement for us to be saved. And now all we have to do is accept Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. And in him, as we accept him, he meets all the requirements. And so when we say yes to him, we meet the requirements only through and by the blood of Jesus Christ. When you think you have to do something to be good enough, you're saying the blood isn't enough. His blood is not enough. His blood is more than enough. Amen. I said his blood is more than enough. One drop of his blood can wipe disease out of your body. One drop of his blood can set the addicted free. One drop of his blood can take all the things that are breaking you down and holding you back and cause that enemy that is holding up your life to be loose from you. I'm not talking about a pool of blood. I'm talking about one drop of blood can save you and set you free from all of the work of the enemy. Amen. Amen. Salvation is God's victory, not man's. I said salvation is God's victory, not man's. When Adam sinned, God came down to where Adam was and said, Adam, where you at? I don't know if you've figured it out or not, but when God asks you a question, he's not asking for his own information. He's asking for you. To take notice, Adam, where are you? What are you doing here? What are you doing in this place? But God knew that Adam could not get to where he was. And so he would come down to where Adam was and he would say, where are you? 
The God that we serve did not stay in heaven and say to Adam, come and find me because you have sinned and you have messed everything up. And if you want relationship with me, come and find me. No, he went to where Adam was and he walked in the garden. And when Adam tried to clothe himself with fig leaves, because he, when he took of the tree and began to eat, he realized that he was naked. He realized that he was in a mess and he would take in the best effort that he could, the best that man could do, and took the fig leaves and tried to make him a garment to cover his sin and cover his shame but it was not good enough but God would come and he would kill an animal and take those bloody skins of that animal and clothe Adam why because God had already set the boundaries God had already said without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. And so fig leaves would not do. Something had to die. Blood had to be shed. You see, that's what false religions fought us for today. They say that you have such a bloody religion. They say that it's a bloody book. They say you serve a bloody God. People, even modern day theologians today, say that talking about the blood is a slaughterhouse religion that's out of date and out of style and nobody wants to hear about it today. But I want to tell you, nothing can wash away your sins but the blood of Jesus. There is someone has to die. Amen. But God said Sin cannot be taken away unless blood has been shed. It was God who came and found them. It was God who came and killed the animals. It was God who did everything that he could to make salvation available for them and for us today. Salvation is God's victory. Amen. And it is by grace that we have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. You don't do anything to get saved. You can't do anything to stay saved. If you could, you would boast in yourself about how good you are. And when you got to heaven, you would be sure to tell everybody else how you made it in. But salvation is God's victory in that all you can do is accept what he has done and receive it by grace and through that grace. <laughs> Not your good deeds. Nothing we have done merits salvation. It's nothing that we do that it is a reward for how good we have been. You will not get into heaven on good deeds. Amen. Good deeds has nothing to do with salvation. Good deeds has everything to do with your rewards, but nothing to do with your salvation. You will not get in by being good. Amen. The question will be, do you know me? 
did you have a personal relationship with me? Well, my grandmother was, no, no. Well, daddy, no, 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 this ain't about grandma or daddy. Do you know me? Do you? Well, I used to. No, it's not about what was. It's about do you know me? Because many have started, but few finish the race. And it's he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. So, yes, everyone has to start, but it's not in the starting, it's in the finishing. And at the finish, he will ask, do you know me? Do you have an up-to-date personal relationship with me now? If you don't have a relationship with him, it doesn't matter how good you have been. You can give thousands of dollars if you have it. You can give millions of dollars. You can, you can do all the good deeds. You can run from one end of the nation to the other, providing and helping and, and, and being good. But it, it, your goodness is not good enough. In Genesis chapter 3, he starts talking about man falling And when Adam fell in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve took from the tree that God forbid them to eat from. Think about that. A whole garden. And all he says is, don't eat from this tree. And you can have all of the rest. But isn't it just like us? To always want what we don't have. God said, you can have everything but this one tree, leave this tree alone. But he did not, he forbid man to eat from it, but did not say they could not. He told them that you you have a choice. God was not caught off guard whenever Adam and Eve chose to eat from the tree he told them not to eat from. He was not caught off guard. He already had a plan from the foundations of the world. And Jesus was already being talked about in Genesis chapter 3 when he talked about the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. He is talking about Mary, which causes us to have to believe that her child was a supernatural child because the blood of a man had been corrupted. And by sin, the corruption had already entered into mankind. And you see now that this has taken place, that sin has entered into mankind. He is looking for someone that will redeem the world, but the world has no one that can redeem it because man has become corrupt. Now God has a problem on his hands. He really loves man but really hates sin. And the thing that he hates has gotten into the thing that he loves. He loves man, but he hates what has gotten into man. And now God has to remove the thing he hates so that he can no longer is separated from the thing which he loves. 
Jesus got his flesh from his mother Mary, according to Romans chapter 1. He said his flesh came from Mary, but the male determines the bloodline. This man could have, have would have to, to shed blood. And you cannot shed dirty blood to clean dirty blood. The blood must be clean. So Mary asked an angel, how would I have a child seeing that I've never known a man? And the angel said, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you. And the seed came from God. The bloodline came from God. And here Jesus comes. He's a man because he came from Mary. But he's God because he came from the blood of a heavenly father. And we look and we see that in Eden it was beautiful place. Everything that you would think of. Everything you would need was in the garden of Eden. It was not just... Just enough it was not just something that to get by but in fact it was more than it was amazing flowers were so colorful that it would exercise every muscle of your eye to be able to look and to see the beauty of such a majestic flower roses that had no thorns streams full of pure crystal water the lion and the lamb were laying down to everything was peaceful no war no fighting no hatred no bitterness no strife everything it was a paradise but God always gives man options and God gave them the option to eat or not to eat from the tree and when they disobeyed God there was paradise was lost forever now they were banned from paradise that's why Jesus had to be perfect so he could bring being the last Adam Jesus could restore everything the first Adam had taken them out of now Adam and Eve have been removed from paradise they can never re-enter again. It is being protected by two cherubims that have flaming swords in their hands. How will they ever get back to a place where they can walk with God in the cool of the day? How will they ever get back to a place where their bodies are not racked with pain and sickness and infirmity and disease. How will they get back to a place where their mind is full, not full of sin and corruption, but get back to a place where they think the thoughts of God? How will they ever get back to this place? God loves his creation so much that he cannot stand to be separated from them. But the stain of sin has brought a big gap between you and God. God has to get the ugly stain of sin 
out of the middle so he can get back together with the ones that he loves so God gets so as close as he can he gets as close as he can without killing the ones that he loves for his raw glory in, in, in his life coming in contact with their sinful life will cause them to explode and, and go back to the dust. He gets Moses and after 400 years in Egypt's bondage tells Moses, I want you to bring my people out of bondage. Amen. And out of Egypt's bondage they come. And Moses led them into the desert. And the very first thing that God told them, he did not tell them the first thing to plant corn. He did not tell them to raise cattle. He did not tell them to make clothes. He did not tell them to establish a government. The first thing that he told them, I want you to build me a tabernacle. I want you to build me a place for me to dwell and I'll get as close as I can to you. I cannot stand to be separated from mankind. I cannot be this, this separation. It's not working. I, I want to restore it back but right now I cannot restore it back even though sin has separated us. I'm going to get as close as I can to you. So I'm going to put in place a system of killing goats and lambs. Blood shed of animals. Every year, the blood would be shed so they could have some form of relationship. Sinful man touching an unsinful God. Having communication with the God who created them but yet separated in their sin. But he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Blood has to be shed. But if you'll take the blood of lambs and goats and ox and turtle doves, and you will take it and bring it to me at the temple. He said, I will be able to have relationship with you. Amen. It, it did not remove sin from them. It only held back the judgment of God for one more year. Moses comes and goes. The judges are raised up and they go. The prophets come, they're raised up and they're taken away. And God gives them a king and there are multiple kings that come and they go. The blood of goats and turtle doves is never enough. The lamb's blood cannot fulfill the price that must be paid. But then we come into the New Testament. And the Bible said the fullness of time has come. Time to wipe out sin once and for all. Someone suggested maybe we can send Michael to do the job. You know Michael the warring angel. You know Michael the strong, stout, in shape angel. 
The one that wars, the one that fights, the one that has the long shiny sword that has six wings and when he flutters them, it causes heaven to begin to vibrate. You know the one that has slain demons, strongholds, and like a clash of titans that have wiped them out. And whenever they, God looks at him, he says, no, he's not good enough. Maybe someone else suggested, maybe we can get Gabriel to go. Gabriel is the angel that is the orchestrator or the worship leader of heaven. He is that long golden trumpet and when he puts it to his mouth, it causes the heavens to rumble with the majestic sounds of heaven. Surely Jake Gable can go and do the job. But God looks at Gable and says, no, as good as he can sing, as good as he can play, it will not wash away the sins. And I can see God sitting on his throne as his eyes span from one side of heaven to the other until they come and they drop at his right side. And Jesus looks down over the heavens into a hell-bound world that is tormented with sin, that is separated from his father's God who has created them. And he says, Father, I'll go. I'll pay the price. I'll sacrifice. I'll do what needs to be done. Amen. And Jesus came and he paid the price for you and I. Amen. How will Jesus come? Being a royalty. Surely he would have the red carpet rolled out. Being royalty. He Surely he would ride a stallion. Perhaps there was a golden throne prepared for him. No. He takes him all the way to the bottom. He takes him to a nameless city called Bethlehem. He he takes him to an unwed pregnant mother in a cave full of animals. And there he is born and wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger because there's no room for him in this earth. Why? Because it's what Jesus is all about. (laughs) It's not God saying you've got to get good enough to come to me. He's saying I'm going to come to where you are. It's about Jesus coming down to dark, dirty, sinful, filthy earth because you can't get to me. Because you cannot get to where he is. You'll never be good enough, but I'm coming down to where you are. In the gutter of your life, in the sinful nature of your mind, right where you are, that's where I'm coming to. It's about Jesus coming. Jesus began to grow, and at 12 years old, amen, they could not find him. Huh? His natural mother was looking and scurrying and looking for him, but he had gone to his spiritual father's house. And at 12 years old, he was marveling the scholars and the theologians. And they said, there's no man ever spoke like this man. 
I mean, we've heard it read before, but whenever he began to read, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and to heal the brokenhearted and set at liberty those who are bruised. Amen. And he put down the scripture and went and sat down. They said, nobody's ever read it. Who is this? Twelve-year-old boy. They finally found him in the temple. And I could hear Jesus saying, as they were fussing at him, we thought you were lost. We didn't know. You know how mamas do. What's wrong with you, Jesus, running off, not telling us where you are? And he would, I can hear Jesus saying, well, I thought you would have known where I was. I just come to my father's house. <laughs> I just came to where daddy was. Amen. And then he grows from 12 to 30 years old. And 30 is the age that, that in the Jewish customs was considered to be an adult. The time that was considered old enough for ministry. It was the age whenever the father would take his family business and turn it over to his son. <laughs> they say Jesus walked up to blind Bartimaeus and pulled blindness out of his eyes. He told the lame people to take up their bed and start walking. He spoke the word and a Roman centurion's house was changed forever with one word. That's the Jesus that I'm talking about today. I said, that's the Jesus I'm talking about today. He took a little boy's lunch, a man of five loaves and two fishes, and he said, what do you have? They said, we've got this little boy's lunch, five loaves, two fishes of bread. He, I can hear him say, let's get the fish fry started. Yeah. Amen. And he took those five loaves and two fishes. He blessed it. He broke it. And he sent it out. And after 5,000 men, the women and children were all fed, satisfied, huh? They took up 12 baskets left over. Amen. Why? Some people say, why would he ever do that? I believe he did that to let us know that he's not a God of enough. He's always a God of more than enough. More than enough. They brought Jesus, a woman, caught in the very act of adultery. Have you ever wondered where the man was? You can't be in adultery by yourself. Jesus was the greatest component. He was the greatest person that ever lived. He was for women. Amen. All these politicians wanting to tell him we're for women, we're for women. No, then no one was like for women like Jesus was. He looked out for women. And they came to Jesus with this woman that is caught in the act of adultery and said, we've got him now because your law says she has to be stoned. The Bible says that he didn't say a whole lot. 
he just bent down and started writing in the dirt. Some people, a lot of people, I've heard it over and over preach on what Jesus wrote in the dirt. I'm going to tell you, I don't know what he wrote in the dirt. But maybe, just maybe, it wasn't about him writing in the dirt at all. Maybe it's not even what he wrote in the, maybe it is just more about him stooping down and touching dirt. Touching hurting broken humanity. Touching someone who has been bound in sin. And he's stooping down while religious people were standing up and had their stones in their hand. Jesus was stooping down to where she was and says, I know what it is to be isolated. I know what it is to be mocked. I know what it is. I know, I know, I know how you feel. And I just come today to tell you that he reached down into broken humanity. Amen. Jesus stopped long enough to touch the dirt. Amen. A lot of people talk about a whole lot. I believe that he is saying in that scripture, it doesn't matter how dirty you are. I'll lean humble myself. I'll stoop down into your mess. I'll bring you out of that situation. I'll give you hope because your sin. I'm not afraid of your sin. I have overcome your sin and I will bring you out. I say to you today that Jesus stooped low so he can raise you high and bring you out of your sin. There may be people here today in your hurts, in your, you may be in adultery, you may be in addiction, you may be in all kinds of mess in your life and religious people already have their stones ready to throw at you but Jesus is stooping down today to raise you up and say I will forgive you and go your way and sin no more. He came to the end of three and a half years of ministry. It was time for Jesus to do what he was sent to do. He was born to die. He was in a garden asking his father if there be any other way. Any other way. Let this cup pass from me. Well, it was in that nevertheless moment that changed the world. A lot of people think that the victory was won on Calvary, but I submit to you today that the victory was won in one word, nevertheless. Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was willing to stoop down into the dirt of broken humanity and say, not my will, but your will be done. While Judas is already out planning his betrayal for 30 pieces of silver. How cheaply we can be bought for a moment's pleasure. 
joy for a moment and will give it all away. Everything he has provided for just a bite of fruit. Judas is betraying him for 30 pieces of silver. I said to you last week, they didn't know who Jesus was. I said, how are we going to know who he is? Judas said, I'll, I'll tell you how you'll know. He'll be the one that I go and kiss. Think about this for a moment with me. Jesus has already been to the place of prayer. He has been exceedingly sorrowful. His pain has come. His grief has come. All of humanity, the weight of the world was upon his shoulders. And your Bible says that his sweat became as great drops of blood. That leads me to believe that when Judas leaned over and kissed Jesus, that he probably touched the blood that could have saved him. But he rejected it. If you could talk to him today, I believe he would tell you, don't sell out because it's not worth it. Somewhere in the corridors of hell today, all Judas is hearing out of the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. I don't believe Judas is hearing all of that. All Judas is hearing is the jingling of 30 pieces of silver. Saying I got this for 30 pieces of silver. They had the last supper. And he told Judas, he said, what you are going to do, do it quickly. Let's get this over with. Peter says, I'll not let you die, Jesus. Not me. Others may forsake you. Others may go there. Not me. And Jesus said to him, Peter, I'm praying for you. Because tonight you're going down. You'll deny me not once, twice, but three times before the cock crows in the morning. Jesus is sitting at the table. I believe it's what Psalms was talking about perhaps when he said, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Because... When Jesus sat at the table, betrayal was on one side and denial was on the other. And it's interesting to me that when Jesus, whenever, whenever uh, Judas came to Jesus, he knew what he was going to do. But listen to this, he calls him friend. He calls him friend. Sometimes it's not the ones that you love you. And love on you, it's the ones that mess on you, that send you into your purpose and your destiny. Sometimes it's the ones that hate on you, that propel you into your purpose, 
They took Jesus away from that place as Judas had betrayed him and they spat upon him and they mocked him and they took him to the Roman governor which was the only one who had the authority to kill him and put him to death. This God that came from glory, this God that had walls of jasper, streets of pure gold, a crystal sea, and a throne like none other. He is now strapped to a flogging post and treated worse than any animal. He has beat him and pulled his flesh out of his back. And all of heaven is wondering, how long is the Father going to let this go on? The Bible says there was tens of millions of angels waiting with great anticipation, waiting on the word of the Father. And at his word, they would flee to where he was and get him off of that cross and bring him back to heaven. But the Father says, stop. He must finish the work. They strap the cross to his back. He carries it up the hill. He falls under the pressure, but it's not the weight of the cross that causes him to fall. He is carrying the sin of mankind up that cross. He is carrying the sickness, infirmity, and disease. He is carrying broken humanity up that cross. And under the pressure, he falls to the ground. They laid him on that cross. They took the spikes and they drove them through his arms or his wrist. When you study out this, they say that in the scripture in the King James, it says they put it through his palms but, or his hands. But when you study in that day, the hand was considered from the fingertips to the elbow. They will tell you that there is no cartilage or no bones in the hand that is able to sustain a man's weight. That's all that is there. But it is suggested that they put it into his wrist where that it would, where there is nerve endings are, where the blood is flowing. And they would take that spike and they would pound it into his wrist. And the excruciating pain ran through his body because he was not hanging there as the son of God. He was hanging there as the son of man. Some people say, oh, it didn't, he didn't feel nothing. He's God. Oh, that is a lie. He felt all points like as we are yet without sin. He knows your hurt. He knows your pain. He knows your grief. He knows your sorrow. He knows your temptations. And they nailed his hand to the cross, but he could not cry out for them pulling to the other side and doing the same. And running the spike through his hand. And then they would put one into his feet. And then they would raise him up on that crown of thorns and put on his head. And say, oh, you look like a king today. Mocking him as the blood runs down his brow into his eyes. And it begins to burn because he has no hand to wipe it away. He's thirsty and they give him vinegar to drink. 
They take him and they pick that cross up and they throw it into the hole. And when it hits the bottom, no doubt his body was jarred by the weight and the agony and pain goes through his entire body. Some people said that when they came out a few years ago with that story or that movie about Jesus being killed or dying on a cross, they said, oh, it's too bloody, it's too horrifying. You shouldn't take little children to that. But I suggest to you it paled in comparison to what happened on that day. He was beyond recognition. His beard and flesh was now laying upon his chest. His back was open until theologians said you could literally see his entrails on the inside of his body. The Roman soldier comes and as they look at him and they thought that he would be dead and they take the sword and they pierce it into his side. And when they pulled it back out, the Bible said blood and water flowed forth. It's the sign of a new birth. Because Jesus is hanging between heaven and earth. And earth won't look at him. And heaven won't look at him. And he's hanging there all alone. And you thought you were lonely. He was nothing to look at, the Bible says. His father cannot look upon him because now he has carried the sin of humanity and God cannot look upon sin. And so Jesus is hanging there alone. And cries a victorious cry as he says, It is finished. Notice he did not say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. The work that I was sent to do, the job that would cause the stains of sin to be removed from broken humanity so father and man can now once again have relationship and communion with one another. It's finished. They cut him off of that tree. They take his tomb, his body to, to, a, to a borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And, and he borrows it for three days. Amen. And hell probably said, we got the job done. <laughs> we took him out. He was tough. It was hard. I can hear some of those foolish angelic angels that are now in hell that chose to go with Satan rejoicing because they thought they had taken out the Son of God. But I don't want to mess up theology today, but I, I, I'm certain that Satan wasn't such rejoicing. I'm certain that Satan himself was not a part of the celebration. I, I'm certain that he, he's not a part of the party because in the back of his mind, he remembers what Jesus said. 
that you destroyed this temple, but in three days, I'm going to raise it up again. Glory to God. Amen. I'm going to raise it up again. And I can hear in hell today as there was a rumbling that came through the carters of hell. It began to get closer to the gate. And I hear a knocking on the gate of hell. And Satan turns around and that fear in his eyes. He looks at that gate and says, oh my God. And I hear Jesus say, yes, you got it. I'm here. Lift up your head, O you gates, and be you lifted up, you everlasting doors, for the King of glory is about to come up in here. I'm going to take the keys of death, hell, and the grave. I'm going to set the captive free. Amen. And I'm telling you today that he threw one of the gates of hell to one side, and he began to walk through the bygone millennials of time, and he walked through the blood of lambs and goats. He walked through the the prophets and the priests and the kings he walked into the place of where Satan held people captive for all of these years and he took the keys of death hell and the grave and he lifted them up and he said you go tell them I was once dead but now I'm alive and I'm alive forevermore and I have given you the victory hallelujah And I tell you today, because he got up, you can get up. I said, because he got up, you can get up. You say, Pastor, you don't know why I've got me bound. I don't care what has got you bound. There's nothing more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ. It will set you free. It will redeem you. It'll wash away your sins. It'll make your past like it never happened. And he'll only know you as a son or a daughter of God. Amen. I'm thankful today that he stooped low so I could go high. I want to praise him today for the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to thank him today that he sent his only begotten son that whenever I could not make it, he made it happen for me. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. He has declared, was declared the son of God, not because he was a great leader. There's been many great leaders. As evil as Hitler was, he was a great leader. He was not declared the son of God because he was a great teacher. Confucius was a great teacher. He was declared the son of God, Romans chapter 4, verse 1. Declared to be the son of God by the power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. This is the reason that he is considered the son of God. This is the reason that he is considered God, this is the reason he is considered the son of God is because he defeated death. Amen. He knows how I feel. He knows your hurt. He knows your grief. 
He knows your pain. Hebrews said that he felt all the infirmities, all of the hurts, the griefs, the pain, the sorrow, the mind, the emotions, the feelings, all of that, that he knows it and he, and he feels it. He knows how it is to be broken. He knows what it feels like to be empty, isolated, and all alone. He knows what it feels like to have no way. No way. In the garden that night, he had come to all the conclusions. I'm sure his mind went through every way that there was. But when there come to no way, he said, nevertheless, Jesus died for you. Some people have said that if only one person would have accepted him as savior, he would have come for that one person. That's pretty good, isn't it? But I got one better than that. Somebody wrote this on my wall. I think I know who it was, but I took it. I said, I'm going to share that today. Jesus died for you, knowing that you may never love him back. But that's true love. Jesus died for you, knowing you might never accept him as your Savior and your Lord. But he died for you anyways. I submit to you today that whenever he died upon Calvary, that he did not know that anyone would call upon him. Anyone would accept him, but he did it anyhow. And if no one ever called upon his name and was saved, that, that he would have still come for lost, broken humanity. Because Father loved him and he wanted that family to be reunited again and have a relationship with him. He's done all that he can for you to come to him. We couldn't come to where he was, so he came to us. And he paid the price. Sacrificed. Did it all. And then said, it's my victory, not yours. But if you'll accept me, it'll be your victory in me. To overcome all of the world I'm not a real smart person but I don't cannot figure in my little peanut brain how anyone would neglect such a great salvation I cannot comprehend or figure out how that anyone would not want to have life and have it abundantly in a messed up world like we have today know the enemy will tell you well I've done so much I've done this I've done that there's no way I can be clean the devil is a liar the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you from all of your guilty stains I'm going to tell you another false lie that has been preached all across this nation and that is conclusiveness that all is conclusive and everyone goes to heaven there's just different ways don't matter what you believe 
there's all different ways I heard one preacher say there's all different ways it's just like going to the barn there's a whole lot of different ways to get to the barn you just got to pick a path no Jesus wouldn't have come and paid such a horrible price if everyone was going to get there by picking a path he said I am the way I am the truth and I am the life and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Amen. Amen. And I'll tell King that anytime he wants to hear it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of salvation. Oh, how I'm thankful for that blood. And we can be free and we can be redeemed sins can be washed away make it as though it has never happened and whenever he looks at us he looks at us through the eyes of grace he says I loved you enough to send my son that you could be clean and know everlasting life forever you stand with me today please